KPI series, Average Client Value, episode 286. Are you ready to make your law firm a profit-generating machine that will free up your time and skyrocket your impact? With more than two decades of business growth experience and having proven that you can be successful while prioritizing your family and your impact, Introducing the Profit with Law podcast. I am your host, the creator of the firm differentiator 10x effect, Moshe Amsel. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Profit with Law podcast. I'm your host, Moshe Amsel. And uh, today I'm going to uh, kick off a series uh, I don't know if I'm going to do them in order, um, but over the course of the next couple of months, I want to start focusing on some KPIs. So if you don't know what they are, KPIs are key performance indicators. And um, essentially, they are the numbers that are important for you to pay attention to. And uh, every business, every law firm has its own KPIs it needs to monitor. And some of them are very specific to, to the law firm, and some of them are pretty much the same uh, across the board throughout the industry. So um, I'm going to I'm going to jump into one of them today. Before I do that, I want to fill you in on some uh, exciting stuff that's going on here. So we at Profit With Law are uh, extremely busy this month uh, preparing for the release of a crash course that we're going to make available to the legal community uh, for a very nominal fee um, starting in the beginning of February. Now, the reason I'm really excited about this is because what I've been doing is over the last uh, few years, as I've been working with law firm owners, I have been learning as well. There are certain aspects of business that are unique to the legal community, and there are certain aspects of business that need to be translated differently or uh, need to be um, outlined in a different way or explained in a different way specifically for running a law firm. And I have been in search or on the path of exploration to try to find the best, fastest, most efficient way to give somebody a very rapid education on how to successfully run a law firm practice. And successfully, I mean creating the profit that you want in the time frame that you want. So um, what I did was is I mapped all of this out into a framework um, and I called it the Law Firm Growth Formula. And the Law Firm Growth Formula is going to be um, a basically like a, four, a, a real quick four-part video series where I am going to teach you this formula and I'm going to show you how to use it to understand where you need to be focusing your efforts in your firm, um, where your gaps are, what's missing, so that you can uh, you can you can focus on the right areas at the right time 
to grow your business. So I'm super excited about this and it will come out at the beginning of February. So stay tuned, listen to the show. I will let you know when it's available. You can go check it out. Uh, so I'm really super excited about that. And actually, there, you're, you, when, you do, when you do get access to the course and you take it, you'll see that there are snippets of it that I am going to try out on the podcast. Um, I've been using snippets of it with my coaching clients over the last couple of months. Um, and it's all, you know, seeing what resonates, seeing what excites people, seeing what gets them moving in the right direction. So today's KPIs are actually something that is covered in that crash course. That is, um, that's an idea that I wanted to explore here with you on the podcast. So, um, hopefully I'll have you along for that ride. But in the meantime, come along for this ride today. Uh, now, I am a numbers guy, and it's very easy for me to do numbers on the fly, to give examples. Um, you might have to kind of write it on paper or see it on uh, some sort of um, uh, slide or video. This is an audio podcast. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me. And if anything confuses you, if you get stuck along the way, go back, listen to it again, take out a sheet of paper, write it down. It's going to all start to make sense. So one of the most important KPIs that I think a law firm needs to pay attention to, and by the way, when I say a law firm, I mean literally in every practice area. Um, so one of the things that confuses people is, well, how can you how how can you tell a personal injury attorney how to run their business, and then tell a family law attorney how to run their business? Aren't they run differently? And the answer is yes, absolutely, they are. Um, but there is a common denominator, and the common denominator is that you all have clients that you serve, and you all have fees that you charge your clients. So therefore, this KPI can be used in any firm. And I named this KPI your average client value. And although I want you to use maybe a calendar year to calculate this, I want you to use a finite period of time, the reality is, is that some clients, some cases are going to span multiple years, and it's kind of difficult to get them precisely into a specific calendar year or a specific period of time. So I understand that, but we're going to run with it anyway. So the, the premise is this. The average client value, if you use that metric, instead of maybe what is my hourly rate or what am I collecting for a personal injury case or what's my, uh, what's my flat fee that I charge, if we, if we use the average client value, we can use this metric for any law firm, no matter what they're doing. One of the interesting things is, is that, um, you know, somebody in, in, say, in family law might turn and see somebody who's in personal injury and say, oh, my gosh, they haven't made. You know, they get one client and they, you know, and they, and they collect, you know, they get a $150,000 payout and they collect a third of that and boom, they've got $50,000 they get paid in one fell swoop for that client for the work they did. And the truth is that that might be the case, but a personal injury firm is going to be working a lot less cases at one time 
than a family law attorney. Um, and and that that itself might not be factual because it depends on who your clientele is, right? A family law attorney who's working with celebrities might only handle uh, you know one or two celebrities throughout an entire couple of years and make plenty of money. And somebody who's doing personal injury and is just doing fender benders, you know, might have to handle a lot of cases to be able to make a living. So um, I understand that generalizing is not a good idea when we're talking about this stuff, but that makes my point even more. And that is that we need to have a metric that we can look at and it'll work no matter who we're talking to. So the average client value is going to be different from firm to firm. And what's interesting is, is it's also going to be different from when you start your firm until, you know, maybe like 20 years later when you look back and you say, okay, you know, where are we at? And I mean, even past inflation, because what happens is when you start your firm, most law firm owners are afraid to charge what they really should be charging. And instead, they try to start off less expensive so that they can get more business, right? As you know, I'm going to get somebody who's going to come to me because, you know, the other attorneys are more expensive than I am. Um, and it, it's such a fallacy, but that's for another another episode. Um, the reality is, is that uh, if you were smart, you would start charging what you want to charge from day one uh, because most people are not making their legal decision based on the hourly rate that they're paying. Most of them are, are doing it based on you know, liking the attorney that they meet with, uh, believing the attorney that they meet with is going to be able to do what they need them to do, uh, accomplish the end result they're trying to achieve. Um, and because of, you know, family and friends, word of mouth, um, you know, uh, uh, reviews on Google, things like that. So there's a lot of factors that go into the decision-making process and price is not really one of them. Um, because, if you really think about it, like what is the difference between 250 and 350 in a matter that's, I don't know, even if it's 100 hours, right? So you're talking about 100 times 100, that's $10,000. Um, well, that's a big difference. But um, when you're, you're looking at, at a 100-hour case, you're looking at a 25000 versus a $35,000 expenditure. So depending on, you know, what we're talking about, you know, if somebody's fighting for their kids um, in, in a custody battle, that $10,000 is not really going to be a make or break it in deciding who they're going to use, right? If they, if they have two attorneys in front of them and one is $10,000 less than the other, if they don't believe that the one is $10,000 less can achieve the same result as the one is $10,000 more, that's not the one that they're going to use. So I know I just went off on a tangent about pricing. But bear with me because the average client value is basically where you take um, the, the total revenue for your firm in a given year divided by the clients that were served during that year. And that gives you a number. So let's say that you did this exercise and you came up with $4,000. That your average client value is $4,000. Well, that number by itself is meaningless. It, do, it doesn't mean anything because it's not in context. We don't, we don't know what it means. It needs to be put alongside another number to be able to know whether it's good or bad. 
So, and, and by the way, good or bad is the wrong terminology also, right? It's never good or bad. It's desired result versus undesired result. So what number are we putting this alongside? Well, the very easy thing you could do is you could put it alongside the previous year. So let's say we look at the last 12 months, we have $4,000 for the average client value. And then we do another calculation for the 12 months preceding that, and we get $3,500. Well, now we know that over the course of the last 12 months, you succeeded in billing or collecting an extra $500 per client than you did the year before. Now, that could be that you spent more time on the case, right? It could be that you increased your pricing. It could be that you were more efficient with your billing. Um, there's a lot of variables that could drive that number. But all in all, you would probably agree that if your average client value went up, that would probably be a good thing. Um, now, the other number that you can compare the average client value to is another number that we'll talk about on, a, on another episode, and that is the cost per acquisition. So what does it cost you to acquire a client? And we'll dive into that in another episode, but the, the base synopsis is, is it's, you, know, you spend X amount on marketing and you acquire X amount of clients, that's your cost per acquisition. So if your cost per acquisition is $2,000 and your average client value is $4,000, then you're paying 50% of your fees into the cost to acquire the client. Now, what does that mean? Again, that depends on your business, but nine times out of 10, if not, if not 9.75 times out of 10, um, that is a very bad metric. Uh, you're paying way too much to acquire a client or you're paying or you're collecting way too little per client. So your marketing might spend might be spot on. That might be exactly what it takes to acquire a client in your specific niche, in your specific geographic region with your specific marketing talents and capabilities. But you probably need to raise your prices or change your fee structure in some way because your average client value has to increase significantly. So just to give you a, a base benchmark, your cost per acquiring a client should n n be no more than 20% of your average client value. So that's a very quick, dirty way to check and see, am I charging enough? Or is my is, is my efforts and collections enough or all the, th all the things that move the needle on the average client value, are those enough based on what it costs me to acquire a client? And this is where, like, if you know, if you understand how these two numbers work together, that could save you a lot of pain, grief, and heartache because what does is, what is somebody who's just starting out often try to do? We try to get leads quickly. We try to get rapid results. So what do we do? We turn to these places that we pay for leads. Like maybe we're 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 you know buying leads from somebody else who's turning who's around on Google doing Google pay, pay per click or whatever. They're getting these leads. They're farming it out to multiple law firms. You're getting them. Um, a lot of these leads are not worth anything, but maybe some of them are worth something. Um, but they're very costly. We don't realize how much they cost because we. It, you know, each lead alone is not a lot. 
but the close rate is is crappy on the on the leads and when you start to look at what you're charging in totality and how many clients you're getting from it your cost per acquisition is pretty high so we might spend money on things like list services like avo and and fine law and things like that where you know, I'm paying to be listed in these directories. When we start to add all the costs of my marketing up together, and then we start to look at how many clients did I acquire, now we get start to get a picture of what it's costing me to acquire a client. It's my cost per acquisition. And now if I turn to my average client value and my cost per acquisition is greater than 20%, I need to really look at both of those sides to fix and right the ship. Because ultimately, if your profit margins suck and eating into your profit margins by paying too much for marketing or not collecting enough, not charging enough for your services, that is going to be the number one killer of your growth. Because if, you, if you're not making a profit, there's no extra money to fuel the growth. You don't have enough money to pay a staff member when you want to bring a staff member on. You don't have enough money to to invest in the next piece of technology. You don't have enough money to spend on the next marketing effort. That's going to maybe decrease your cost per acquisition because now you're you're starting to to execute at a higher level. You can't do any of that if you're not making a decent profit margin. And you want to take home pay at the end of the day? If your profits go into the marketing companies, if your profit is 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 going to your clients because you're not charging enough, you're not going to bring it home. You're not going to see the success at home. So one of the first places to look when we're trying to troubleshoot our business and see where are we going wrong is to take these two metrics. Take your your average client value, take your cost per acquisition and look at them together to see what is it costing me to acquire a client and what am I collecting on the back end with a client. So let's talk about um, average client value uh, because the average client value and I, I we, we can dub it ACV, right? The, the ACV is um, it's going to be different law firm to law firm. And this is where I think it's really important because, you know, when when you look at the grass is greener on the other side and maybe you're looking at personal injury and you're saying, wow, they haven't made um, where their average client value might be $30,000, but they also might have a cost per acquisition of six, $7,000 per client. And if you're like a family law attorney, if you had a cost per acquisition of $7,000 for a client, you wouldn't make any money because your average client value is probably around $7,000. So when we look and say the grass is greener on the other side, we look at them, It's it, we're looking at one piece of the puzzle. We're not looking at, at or one side of the equation. We're not looking at both sides of the equation. And it's really important to understand that there's two sides to this equation. So the average client value is dictated by a number of things. It's dictated by the rate that you're charging, it, how you're packaging the rate, and your ability to collect on the reality of the work that you do. And it takes all of those pieces together, working in harmony, to really raise the average client value to where you need it to be. 
uh, you need to be charging enough. So whatever format you choose, whether you're billing hourly, whether you're uh, whether you're charging an alternate fee arrangement like a membership or a uh, like a subscription model or a um, a flat fee model uh, or some other value-based model, if you if you have an alternate fee model, you also need to focus on how much am I charging, right? Because I create this package. Let's just call it package X. I create this package of services, and I say here. You want to ha- you want to get this done. You need this package of services, and that's going to cost you the dollar amount you're going to say now. That's the price you set. So if you put together a package of services and you say that's going to cost you four thousand dollars, but the reality is is that um, it's going to cost you more than twenty percent of that to acquire the client, and then we didn't even talk about what does it cost you to deliver. To that client, which we'll talk about soon, then that four thousand dollars might sound like a lot to you, but it might not be enough to be able to get the average client value that you need. So maybe you need to be charging five thousand, six thousand, seven, eight, nine, ten. Who knows, right? I recently had um, these conversations with some of my coaching clients specifically uh, ones that are billing hourly, and I am pushing them to raise their hourly rates. And so how do you know if your hourly rate is not high enough? Well, you know if your hourly rate is not high enough if the math doesn't work when you look at your average client value and then you turn around and look at your cost per acquisition and cost per delivery. So your cost to deliver, by the way, should not exceed 40%. So basically, the cost to acquire a client and the cost to deliver to the client, those two together should be no more than 60% of the average client value. So when you start putting those numbers together and you say, well, it if I look at my totality of my firm, it I had to have a, an attorney, a paralegal, and two assistants... And that's a total, and the attorney could be the the owner, but then you have to assume what you would have to pay an attorney. When we're doing this math, you have to assume what you would pay an attorney had you hired them off the street, right? So let's say the attorney is $100,000, just to keep numbers simple. Attorney is $100,000, paralegal $60,000, assistants are $40,000. So you have $240,000 that you're spending annually to deliver the legal work. Then you're also spending, maybe let's say you're spending, um, let's say you're spending $40,000 to, um, to acquire clients throughout the year. So you have $280,000 that you're spending to deliver the work and to acquire the clients. So if, if you take 280000 and you divide it, by 0.6 because we said that's 60% of the revenue that you're that you're collecting, right? You should have a revenue in your firm of at least 467,000. So let's say that your your revenue is 475,000. So let's say that this firm is, you know, is serving uh, a total of 150 clients throughout the year. Right? So 475 475,000 divided by 
150 clients. So that's an average client value of $3,167. Now, in this example, now I'm going to show you how we can manipulate, how we can use this number. In this example, you know, maybe this attorney is charging hourly, right? But if we start to look at maybe an, alt, an alternate fee arrangement of some kind, we can potentially package their services in a way that instead of 3167, they're able to charge 4500, right? So if we take 4500 minus 3167, the difference is $1,333 per client. And if we multiply that times 150, that's this client is serving 150 clients, this this lawyer is serving 150 clients throughout the year. That unlocks $200,000 of revenue that didn't cost anything more to deliver, didn't cost anything more to acquire. So essentially, it's literally money in your pocket. So if you, if you start with a basis of understanding your average client value metric, that can be something that allows you to focus on how do I raise my average client value specifically how do i raise it without needing to do more work without needing to do more work on the marketing side i don't need to bring any more clients in and without needing to do any more work on the legal side i don't need to serve them anymore than i'm already doing and be able to raise the the total amount of revenue coming in which ultimately is going to flow to the bottom line it's ultimately going to flow to my pocket and that is, that is a massive lever that you have to control the money that you have coming in. Now, what, what can you do with that money? If you had an extra $200,000 in profit right now, if you had an extra $200,000 in profit, what could you do with it? Uh, and, and as you're sitting there, I want you to start, just talk out loud. I don't, even if there's people watching you, even if you're sitting on the subway and they're going to think you're crazy, right? Just start talking out loud. I know the first thing people will start saying are the personal things, right? I'll get a new car. I'll pay down my debt. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pay for my kid's summer camp or whatever, you know. But then, then, okay, you still have money left over. Now what? Well, now you can reinvest in your business. Now you've got some fuel. You know, before you were spending $40,000 on marketing, and that probably didn't include a marketing agency. What if you can add another $50,000 to your marketing spend and bring on a marketing agency and start, you know, ranking on SEO or start, you know, running a, a, a true um, proper Google ads campaign? Or what if you could buy up some billboards in your neighborhood? Or what if you could, like, there's, there's so many different things that you can't do today because you don't have the money to do it because your business is not throwing off that level of profit, but it's so easy to flip the script on it. It's so easy to change it. And I'm not saying it's easy to, to change your prices overnight. It's, it's you know, you, you can't go from, uh, let me take that back. I don't want to say you can't because you could, but it's very difficult for a person to go from a $300 an hour attorney to a $600 an hour attorney overnight. However, if you change the way you delivered the proposal to the client, if you 
and I, I'm now realizing we there's so many episodes that we can create off of this one, um, but we should totally have one where we talk about how do you raise your average client value in respect with, to the prices, right? How do you um, navigate changing your prices in a way that you're not necessarily just going into a meeting and now stating a different number than you were stating before, but instead presenting it in a different way where you're driving the client to decide to give you more for the same amount of service that you were giving before. So one way to drive this is, is by changing the way you charge for services or by increasing your price or a combination of those two. Another way is what is very common in the legal industry is to not bill or collect everything that you do. And I don't know why, I don't know if this is done subconsciously or consciously. For some people, it's part of their strategy of customer service. For some people, it's, you know, they feel guilty. Um, but by and large, many law firms either don't track their time appropriately, don't send, when they send the, the bills out to the client, they reduce the amount of, of work that was done because they either think that it, that it looks too high or because they don't want it to, to be so high or the client doesn't have enough of a retainer, whatever the reason is, there's a discounting mechanism that happens in the invoicing cycle. And then when a client gives pushback, there might be further discounting, and then there are some clients who don't pay, or when they, when they don't pay, you discount it further to get them to pay. So what happens is, is that there's a watered-down effect that, that goes on from where you want to be in your pricing and collections to what actually comes in the door from the work that you're producing. So another thing that we could do is just cut all that crap out. What we could do is we can just put the time in or put the, the entry in for the work that was done and then generate the invoice based on what was entered and not look at it in this with this lens, not, not play this game of discounting. And if a client calls to complain, taking a firm stand and saying, yeah, that is what, what, that's the work that needed to be done. That is what you retained us for. That is what we're doing. So... Um, it's, it's easier for me to say it behind the microphone because you're, you know, when you're on the phone with the client, it, it's very easy to give in to the client. Um, you know, but if you were, if you were having a conversation with your kid and they're 16 years old and they said, Hey, Hey mom, or Hey dad, um, uh, Joe is having a party at his house. Uh, they're going to be serving alcohol and I'm going to go over there and get sloshed. You're going to say, no, no, you're not. And the, your kid will plead and your kid will, you know, please, everyone else is doing it. Everyone else's parents are allowing it. Uh, you have to let me go. No, you're not going to give in. You're going to stand firm and you're not going to allow it to happen. Why? Because that is how, th that is how you believe your child should behave, right? So when you're in this invoicing cycle, you have to believe that your firm has earned every penny. You have to believe that you have every penny coming to you. And when you have that belief, you're not going to give in. 
And if you start to give in, go back to this analogy and say, oh my gosh, I'm, gonna, I'm letting my kid go and drink alcohol at a party when they're 16 years old. I know it's a, it's a dumb analogy probably, but it'll stick in your head now. Um, it, it, that's really what it is. It's simply a matter of standing your ground and saying, no, this is the agreement that you signed. This is the work that we did. This is the amount of cost. This is what you need to pay. So if we cut out that game, we all of a sudden we can we can flip the script on the financial picture of our business. Now not everybody is doing this. I know some of you that are listening are like, this is not relevant to me. Like if you're in personal injury, you know, an insur- insurance cuts a check, you take your percentage. There, there's no collection issue there. But there are many uh, practice areas where this is an issue. You know, estate planning, if you're doing flat fee um, or in any uh, um, uh, industry, if you're doing flat fee and you collect it all up front, it's a non-issue. But what is an issue is boundaries and scope creep. What's scope creep? Well, it's where you say this is what's covered in this flat fee, X, Y, Z. And the client comes and somehow starts getting A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P from you. In, in, in addition to XYZ, right? Um, that is that scope creep. So you have to get in the habit. If you're, if you're a flat fee practice, you have to get in the habit of having this line to whip out at any point in time. Oh, I'd love to do that for you, but that's outside the scope of what we're, you know, what's, what's covered in our agreement. So uh, it's going to be billed at X rate or it's going to cost X amount of dollars to, to add that service to the service that you already have. Um, uh, you cool with that? Okay, good. So uh, let me just t- get your credit card information. Boom. Right, you got to get in the habit of doing that. Otherwise, you're going to be doing a ton of work that you're not getting paid for and it's just going to be called something different. It's just going to look different. But you're no different than the person who's who's doing eight hours of work, putting in a four-hour invoice, and then at billing time is cutting it down to three hours. And when the client goes to pay, it's cutting it down to two. So we started off with this KPI of average client value. And um, I wanted to make sure that you understood how crucial this number is and how crucial it is to know this number. Start monitoring this number and start calculating it on a quarterly basis and make it your objective to increase this number regularly, every single quarter, by whatever means necessary. And this will drive the growth in your business. I guarantee it. Getting the average client value, you know, one of the, one of the benefits is the cost per acquisition, the cost to acquire a client is gonna be the same regardless of what you do with this number. So if it costs you $1,000 to acquire a client and you're currently getting $3,000 and then you raise it to four or five, now you're collecting $5,000 for a client, it's still costing you $1,000 to acquire the client. So you're, you're not raising the cost to acquire at the same time that you're raising the, the average client value. And, you know, that's why if you focus on raising the average client value, it's going to make everything else easier. 
because it's going to it's going to start to stretch that profit margin. It's going to start to make you more profitable. And when you start to be more profitable, you start to have options. You start to be able to make better decisions in a lot of other areas in the business where frankly right now you feel like your hands are tied. You know, so many people I run into are like struggling. They're working 60, 80 hours. And they literally can't afford to hire, you know, a, a full-time virtual assistant for eighteen hundred bucks a month. And when I hear that, there's only one answer to that equation: you're not charging enough, or collecting enough. Simple as that. If you're legitimately working sixty to eighty hours a week, and you don't have enough to show for it that you could bring on an eighteen hundred dollar a month employee. You are not collecting enough average client value. Your ACV is in the, in the crapper. So if this is you, if I'm talking to you, if I'm in your ears and you're like, holy crap, I'm working 60 hours a week. I can't bring on an $1,800 a month assistant. This is the very first thing I want you to do is I want you to calculate this metric. Now, you're going to say, well, I don't have a bookkeeper. I do my books once a year. I don't know. You can figure out how much revenue you collected in the last 12 months. Go to your law pay or go to your bank account and look at deposits. You figure it out. Go c gather this information and then go into your, your software, your practice management software, and look at how many matters did you touch in the past year and then do the math. Figure out what your average client value is. And then I want you to sit down and say, how do I increase the average client value that I just figured out by 25%? Let's make it an easy number. 25% is a hard number to go over four quarters. Let's make it 20%. 5% a quarter for the next four quarters. Commit to raising your average client value by 20% for the next four quarters, 5% a quarter. Every quarter, you're going to have to figure out, how do I raise this? It could be just raising the price, but maybe it's a combination of changing your tactics. Maybe it's not doing things for free for people. Um, start doing that and see that needle move. All right, folks, this is your first time listening to the Profit With Law podcast. I, I'm honored to have you here. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Come back for more. We're here every Tuesday and Thursday solo on Tuesday. On Thursdays, we have amazing guests. We've got an amazing guest coming your way just in a couple of days. And um, if you haven't left us a review, rating a review on iTunes or um, I think Spotify is now accepting reviews. Uh, we'd love to, we'd love to get your feedback. We'd love to have a review there for other people to see. And, um, I'm excited about what's coming down the pipe. So stay tuned for the announcement. Um, and I hope you can join us for that crash course in February. Take care. Thank you for tuning into the profit with law podcast. Your feedback is extremely valuable to us as well as helping us reach more people with this valuable content. Please leave us a rating and review in your favorite podcast directory. Join us again next time when we are back with even more strategies to profit with law.